Well, we've been talking uh, in these, these weeks um, uh, since uh, sabbatical. I talked to you about fresh start. Are you allowing that to happen in you by, by God's help? Uh, somebody walked in this morning and said, how's your fresh start going? Uh, just to whoever was standing around there. Good question. Thank you for that. Um, if, you, uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to, uh, to these last two messages, I encourage you to, look, to go back and listen to those. Fresh start. Last week, we talked about my personal culture. What that meant is... Am I becoming the person, the witness that God made me to be? What kind of atmosphere, what kind of culture is there about us uh, as believers? So uh, what we're going to look at today is uh, thinking about Christ's vision and his call, uh, Christ's vision for uh, unity uh, for us. Um, you know, the... Um, the night before Jesus died on the cross, he took 12 men who had been training with him for his entire ministry, and they had what they called the Passover meal. And that place where it took place was in an upper room. That was because it was on the second floor of the building, so it was an upper room, you know. So, uh, these men had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They were uh, becoming leaders of the church. And now during this Passover meal that became what we call the Lord's Supper, um, when they got ready to have the Lord's Supper, Judas left the room to betray Jesus and to have him arrested. And so Jesus knows that he's going to be dead and buried in 24 hours. He knows whatever he's going to say to these men now will be some of his last words of instruction for them. Now, you know that somebody's last words are always extremely important, right? I mean, Jesus shared his most intimate thoughts uh, in this passage. So what Jesus said in these last words before the cross are found in John chapter 13 uh, to chapter 17. And these five chapters are this upper room discourse that he offers. And so uh, I'd encourage you as you're preparing for Easter, maybe read John 13 through 17. Um, what Jesus is talking about here is offering us a, a key to... Uh, a unified family, unity. So I want us to, to think about what Jesus has to teach about unity. Now, this is so important. I want you to do something with it. Would you, would you raise your right hand? Raise your right hand right there. Say, uh, I will practice what Jesus teaches about unity. You know, it really matters when you raise your hand like that and you say that. So, uh, so we're, we're not only going to listen to what Jesus teaches us, we are going to um, make a determination. Are we living, are we living out uh, this teaching about unity? So you got these five chapters. Uh, the two themes that Jesus spoke about uh, most were, number one, how much he loves us. You know, that's a, a continual theme for him. And number two, not only how much he loves us, but how much we must love each other uh, in light of that as his family. In fact, love in this section is mentioned 21 different times. Uh, let me show you just a, a few examples. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, 12, leading up to this section, he says, this is what I'm commanding you to do. You must what? 
love each other. You must love each other. Now, what's the measure of that kind of love? He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So uh, you get the point here, right? He keeps coming back to this same theme over and over again. I love you, and you've got to love each other. Now, after Jesus shared these final words, he prayed his final public prayer before going to the cross. That prayer is recorded in John 17. So that's kind of where we're starting today with it because it shows Christ laying out his vision for us as his family, the church. So when you turn to John 17, you'll notice the first eight verses is Jesus giving a little report to the Father about what has been happening with these disciples in the last three and a half years. And then he gets to verse 9, and he prays for them. And then he prays for all of us who came to faith in Jesus because of them. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you right before he was arrested and went to the cross to die for you? John 17, 9 and 11 says this. I'm not praying for the world, but for those of you who have been given to me because they belong to you, speaking to the Father. Now I'm departing the world and I'm leaving them behind, Father, so protect them by the power of your name so that, always like that, so that, so that they may be united as one, just as we are one. Now, let me point out that this is, this is the first mention of unity among Christians in Jesus' prayer. But it's, it's, not, it's going to be the primary theme of this whole prayer. What was on Jesus' mind as, uh, as he got ready to go to the cross uh, was the unity of the family, the unity of the church, that we would be united in love after he died and rose again. Now, you know, you know what I think he was thinking? It's like if we don't love each other and if we're not united together, even, even almost 2,000 years ago when he was on the cross, if those guys couldn't get along, the whole thing was, was going to be messed up, wasn't it? You know, we get it messed up when we get divided, don't we? And so he's very concerned about that. So uh, I want you uh, to, to focus on this with me. So I have a little phrase. We'll say it a number of different times as we go along. It says, Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. So that's our affirmation. Ready? Uh, I think it's on the screen. There it is. Okay. So uh, let's say this together. Ready? Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. So that'll show up a few more times in there. See, he mentions it several times in this prayer. John 17, 20 and 21, Jesus prays for you. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will believe in me because of their testimony. That's you and me. That's us. And my prayer is for all of them that they too, us, will be one unified with each other. So Christians prove that we're who we are by being one with each other. Jesus said, just as you are in me and I in, in, in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus is getting ready to die. 
and the biggest concern on his heart is that the church is going to be unified in love. It's uppermost in his mind. It's the primary vision that he has for us here. It's what he prayed for. It's what he wanted. I mean, if something else had been more important to Jesus at this moment, believe me, he would have mentioned it in this prayer, right? So what I want to do in our time together is just look a little closer at this vision, a vision of unity, because it's obviously important to him. Now, I don't have time to show you all the verses that talk about unity in the scripture, but I will tell you this, that the New Testament has more to say about unity among Christians than it has to say about heaven and hell. You believe that? More about unity than even about heaven and hell. He's not disregarding heaven and hell, but he's emphasizing the importance of our role in loving each other. God says so much about this concept. So today, what I'm going to do, if you got the notes, uh, you can look those up. They're online. Uh, you have them there. I was going to look at 10 little things quickly. I don't have time to give a bunch of commentary on it. So what we're doing is letting the word speak for itself. And then next week, uh, I'll give you some practical perspective about how we can specifically uh, live out uh, this unity. So uh, we're looking at the Word of God together. So number one, we're going to look at, uh, reminds us that, uh, first of all, unity is something that he has called all of us to, that my unity, number one, my unity with other believers is proof that I'm saved. My unity with other believers is proof that I'm saved. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. Jesus is talking and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. You must love each other. You must love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Your love for one another will be proof to the world that you are my disciples. Proof, he says. You prove that you're a Christian, not with a bumper sticker on your car. Not with just some actions that we take. Those are important. But the Bible says the proof that you are really a Christian is that you love other Christians in the church family. All right? Number two. Oh, first of all, we're going to say our phrase here. Ready? Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. Did you say it at home out there? I didn't hear you very well, so just checking on you there at home. Uh, number two, the Trinity is our model for unity. The Trinity is our model for unity. You hear Jesus saying that over and over in this section, don't you? I, I was in you, and you were in me, and he, we are in him. The Trinity is our model. So Jesus explains this in verse 11 in John 17. He says in this prayer, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that, see that's that, listen up, he's giving us a reason, so that they may be one with each other just as we are one so that their unity may be just like ours. The Trinity is our model. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are in harm, harmony and unity with each other, right? Amen? The three are one, and the Bible says that that's the way we're to be. In the church, we are unified as one. And so we say it again, ready? Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. You're figuring out pretty quick what this message is about, right? 
All right, number three. Jesus' last prayer, the very last prayer before he goes to the cross, was that we would live in unity. John 17, 21. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. Do you notice that Jesus ties other people coming to Christ with our unity? He ties other people coming to Christ with our unity. So this is Jesus' vision. This is Jesus' goal for you and for me, for anybody who claims the name uh, of Christ. So if our love has an impact positively on people coming to Christ, the opposite is also true, right? If we don't love each other, if we don't get along, if we're not unified together, then we can be a hindrance or a block to people coming to Christ. What this means is this. The purpose of God's presence in your life, the purpose of God's power in your life is to make us more loving, not more harsh, not more opinionated, not more stubborn, but more loving. Do you want God's power in your life? Do you want to feel God's presence in your life? Jesus says he gives power to those who lay aside secondary differences with other Christians. Secondary differences, the things that don't really matter, and to live in unity in the family of God. So, ready? Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. Now, the next verse gives us the fourth truth about unity. Our unity, God says, is our greatest witness to unbelievers. Our greatest witness to unbelievers. That's verse 23. Jesus prayed this. May they be brought into complete unity so that, there's that word again, so that, the world knows that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, notice, this is the second time that Jesus connects unity of Christians to winning the world to Christ. He's saying that the world will not be one, W-O-N, until Christians are one, O-N-E, in unity. We will win the world when we're one with Christ. Another way of saying that is if unbelievers don't like what they see in us, they will not listen to what we say. Or if they don't like what they see, they don't see us loving each other, they will not listen to what we have to say. You know, the evidence for the atheist, the evidence for the agnostic, the evidence for those that are just unbelievers is to love Christians, the love that we have for each other. You see, Jesus is serious. And he says, he, you ready? Uh, Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one, one. Now, uh, this is just some of what Jesus says about unity, but I want us not only to see what Jesus said, but how did the early church, uh, the first church in Jerusalem, in other words, the first Christians implement and practice what they had learned? How did they apply it, uh, G what Jesus said about unity? 
To see that, you have to go to the book of Acts, where we learn two important things about the power of unity in the church family. So here's the fifth point that we learn from Scripture. Unity removes fear and creates boldness. Unity removes fear and creates boldness. Unity, uh, what is he talking about here? He's saying what, what a unified church gives everybody more power and more courage than a divided church. And now what, that's one of the reasons you came today, right? To be encouraged. I'm sure your week was not totally fantastic. There was probably some possibilities of division and discouragement that were there. And so we come together here to express that we are on the same page, right? At home, we are connected together. So where do you find that? Acts chapter 4, verse 24, and then verse 31. See, in this setting, the disciples, Peter and John, had actually been put into prison. They had done a miracle, and they were preaching in the name of Jesus in the community. And then they um, were put into prison, but then they were told they were going to be let out. And then they come back to the church, and it says in verse 24, all the believers united together in prayer. That brought unity. You know, when we pray together, it unifies us. It says after the prayer, this unified prayer of all the people in the church, it says after the prayer, the building where they were meeting shook. Wasn't an earthquake. It was the move of God through the unity of God's people. That's power. Uh, That must have been a powerful prayer. The building where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with God's Holy Spirit, and they began to speak God's message with boldness, the Scripture says. So you want to be fearless as a believer? Does fear plague us? Certainly. During a pandemic, There's been isolation and loneliness that can cause us to be filled with fear and insecurity. Could we be more bold? Would you like to be more bold? Do you want to be confident in sharing your faith? I'll give you the secret. Focus on unity with other Christians, supporting them. You know, that's why we have some of the ministries that we do. Why we have Man Church, so that we can bring guys together, support them, grow together, gather. Our women's ministry, uh, Kids Zone, uh, our kids are being encouraged, our youth group in refuge, and all kind of other areas where we want to support each other. See, unity removes fear, division destroys vision. Division destroys the vision that God has for us. So Jesus is calling us to unity. Ready? Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. Now there's another thing that we learn from the book of Acts from this first church and how they put that into practice and how they implemented it. Um, When a church is unified, everybody's needs are met. When a church is unified, everybody's needs are met. All the people come together and needs are met around us. We find that example in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, the entire group of believers, that's the church, right? The entire group of believers were completely united in their hearts and in their spirit, and everybody shared their possessions with each other. In fact, they shared everything uh, that they had so that nobody was in need. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts 2 that that was so impressive to the non-Christians in Jerusalem that they had the favor of the people because they said, see how they love one another. Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. Now, we looked at 
some words from Jesus, his prayer, the Christians in the early church. What about the Apostle Paul? What did he have to say about Christ's vision for unity in the church? Uh, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the importance of unity and uh, his letters to the Corinthian church and to the church at Ephesus. And he says it's a big deal. So no matter whether you're Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we have now all received the same spirit. Uh, he says that no matter what your cultural background, no matter what your racial background, no matter your religious background or your national background, he said that doesn't matter. Those are secondary to him and his kingdom. He says, we all received the same spirit of Christ. He says, it doesn't matter what your background is. Now you are unified with every other Christian, regardless of differences, which means that I have more in common. Listen to this. I have more in common with an Asian woman who's a believer in Christ than I would have in common with an American male, six foot two, big and bulky, but is not a believer in Christ. See, our real commonality is with brothers and sisters in Christ. So number seven, seventh thing that God says about unity in the church, focusing on our common purpose is what creates unity. Focus on our common purpose is what creates unity. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I love this in the New Living Translation. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop arguing among yourselves. Don't you like that? Just like your mama. He's talking about church. Stop arguing among yourselves. It doesn't matter what you're arguing about, just arguing among yourselves. He goes on, let there be real harmony so there won't be any divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. If you got your notes there, circle that right there. United in thought and purpose. Now, this message today, this is not, you, you might think, well, is pastor scolding us for being divided? No, see, this message is not just about us here. It's about the church all around us. It's about all the churches in our network, churches in our community and in our state, nation, and around the world. You know, there's a lot of places that can get caught up in doing their own thing. Do you know that churches talk bad about churches? So sometimes, we, sometimes we get there. Like we can't get along with this group, and I won't call any names, but, you know, this one or that one. Like we got, like we all got our own thing going on, you know. Just, I, I don't have anything to do with you. You know, we got, now that is not what he called us to, right? I mean, you got to notice that he says common purpose. I want you to be united in purpose. Be guided for the purpose of our church, not our programs, not just pressure or pleasing others or popularity or personality driven, not politics driven. He said, be united in purpose. And that's the key, right? Because Jesus, read it. Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. So here's the next insight. Number eight. This kind of summarizes what the Bible says about unity. Unity begins when we realize that we're incomplete without each other. 
Unity begins when we realize that we are incomplete without each other. Unity begins when you and I as Christians realize that we need other people around us. We need each other. God wired us in such a way that nobody gets all the gifts, right? I don't have them all. You don't have them all. That's why we need each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 and 21 and down through verse 25 says, Yes, we are all, we are all different parts in Christ's body, but there's still only one body. How many bodies of Christ? One. We got different gifts. We got different backgrounds. We got different races, different sizes and shapes. We're different genders, yet we're all different parts of the body of Christ, and we're still one body. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He said, there must never be any division in the body allowed. Do you know that verse was in the Bible? There must never be anything, any division in the body allowed. Instead, all members must care for each other equally. Equally. In other words, showing equal care. You know, the church is the place of all places where there should be equality and justice. Amen? We are to care for each other equally, not show preference, not show prejudice, not show bias. There must never be division in the body. He says, instead, all members were cared for equally. By, by the way, that's not simply in my job description and not yours. You know, our staff is not the only one responsible for this unity. It's the job as every Christian to protect the unity of the family, your church family. You know, you have to own your role in being responsible for unity. Come on. Don't leave me hanging out here. We all bear responsibility. Um, I, the Lord helped me see this. He said, you know, all of us, including pastor, have the ability to be gasoline. Do you know that gasoline is really valuable? I'm sure you had some in your car to get you over here today. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice to have that. It runs things. It's powerful. It's incredibly important. But do you know that gasoline, when it gets loose on its own, is very dangerous, very destructive. You know, we can all be like that. You know, I can, my mouth can be gasoline. My attitudes can be gasoline. My way, what I want, my personal preferences over against what God's want, God wants. So related to that is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. Listen to this. This is another part that enhances the unity of the church. We when one part of the body suffers, every part is to suffer with it. And when one part of the body is honored, every part of the body is to rejoice with it together. So he's not just talking about individually what we want. We are the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ by yourself. I'm not the body of Christ by myself. Together, we are the body of Christ. And each of us is a part of that body. And all of us are a necessary part. So he says, when somebody's suffering, 
You need to be empathetic. When somebody's going through pain, we have empathy and care for them. When somebody's hurting, we care. somebody's frustrated, empathy is the key to unity. The more empathetic that I am, the more I'm going to be able to build the unity in the body of Christ. Okay? Number nine, Jesus died to unite us, not to divide us. Jesus died not to, un- not to divide us, but to unite us. That's why it's so important Uh, that we hear what he's saying. It's not some minor issue. Jesus died to unite us, to reconcile us, not to divide us. Ephesians 2.16 says, By his death on the cross, Christ reconciled us and united different races into one body. He He brought us all back to God, ending hostility. Ending hostility. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He reconciled us. He united all of us into different kinds, all kinds of different people into one body. Uh, in Ephesians, it says that we're a new race of people. He brought us all back to God, ending the hostility. I love uh, the verse in the Living Bible, Ephesians 2.16 said, the feud ended at the cross. <laughs> That's a great line. The feud ended at the cross. So there's no place or division, preferential treatment, uh, even our own personal preference over the call of Christ for unity. Finally, number 10, Jesus expects me to work hard at unifying Christians. Would you say work hard? Jesus expects us to work hard at unifying Christians. So this is not something for everybody else. You know, he's not talking to the person across the room and not talking to you. He's talking to all of us. If we claim to be Christians as part of our job description, Jesus expects me to work hard at unifying Christians in the church family. Ephesians 4.3 says this, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Bind yourselves together by living in peace with each other. That's a direct statement from the word of God. One day we'll stand before God and he'll say, did you do that? Did you make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in your church family? Did you bind yourselves together with everybody else to live in peace with each other? Now, maybe you can tell I have some personal grief about this whole concept, things that have made me sad. Do you know that Christians today are known more for a lot of other things rather than loving each other? We are not known for what we're talking about today. I mean, if you went out and did a little survey and you surveyed a thousand people wherever you want to and you asked them, uh, what do they think? What is the characteristic of born again Christians? Do you think what we're talking about today is going to be the answer that you get? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Uh, would they say, man, those guys really love each other. Uh, They really, really love each other, and that's what they're known for. Um, uh, I'm not just talking about our church, but the church in general. Something's wrong with us. He's calling us to unity. Jesus wants us to be known of, to be known for that. And, and if we're not known for the love that we have for each other, for those around us in the world, the contemporary church is way off base. So no matter what happens, okay, COVID or no COVID, politics or no politics, whatever might be happening in the world around us, live in such a way that we are a credit to the good news of Jesus Christ.
Standing united, standing united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the gospel. In other words, caring about what they think about the gospel more than what they think about what I think. Your courage and your unity will show them what God desires to accomplish. So why why we get so messed up on this? Oh, sorry. I'll get in trouble for that. So. Why so messed up? Well, I think it's because we live in a country where some of the most important things are what is my personal preference. What, what do I want? You know, we talked about personal culture. How am I going to live my life? Well, how are Christians living in central Illinois? How are Christians living in America? You know, if Christians decide that you want your way more than God's way, we will not have unity. I can't have my way and God's way at the same time, most of the time, right? You know, I hope I can get my way in line with what God wants. But most of the time, what I want and what he desires might be a little, might be a little different. My personal preference or God's way. Say it. Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. So this vision for Christ and for us, uh, Jesus is still waiting for us to be the answer to his prayer. Jesus is wanting us to recognize this prayer that he prayed on our behalf, where we would recognize that, man, those people love each other. Now, just a couple things for um, this, this subject is uh, so in my mind, um, you know, I, just, I just want us to be a people of unity. You know, I can't, I can't have a say in every other church and what other people are doing, but I can ask us, let's be a model of love for each other in his family, not divided over secondary issues that would make, um, you know, our, our allegiance to Christ. In, you, you know, Satan hates the unity of the church. Satan hates the unity of the church. Why? Because the unified church is unstoppable. We're going to see that. If we get to the middle of, of April, we're going to start studying the book of Acts together. And, but if we're going to have the power of Acts, if we're going to have the miracle of Acts, if we're going to have the unity of Acts, uh, we got to be united together around what Christ teaches. Satan hates the unity of Christians, and he's a divider, and he wants us to be divided. So, just a few things to highlight. Um, I'm not picking on anybody or anything. I'll just tell you a few things. Do you notice that we, we put the camera in the middle of the center aisle? Notice that? I got back from sabbatical. Somebody, sarcastically, I'm sure, said, what are we doing, Pastor? Going Hollywood? Putting on a show? Um, that is not unifying, right? You know why that thing is sitting right there? Hello, good morning, if you're watching. Um, that's sitting there because up until this point, over this last year, we've had way more people watching online than been sitting in this building. It is so important that you watch. This, this, these last couple of weeks, I've been getting notes. Um, I'd love to read some of them to you, but I don't want to call anybody out. But notes about people, things that have been changing because people have been watching online. Commitments that they made. Uh, this one lady said, I've never even heard her name before. Good morning. I, I got your note. 
And she said she'd been watching. She'd only missed twice in the last year. And we never even heard of her. And I began to get all kind of other names and testimonies about what is so important that we are not only connected in this room, but that we are connected online. Amen? And that's why we move that around to try to help connect as well as we can to those that are outside. Uh, I, I noticed that we've been having discussions about, hold on just a second. I think I got one right here. We've been talking about these, haven't we? Do you know that this has become one of the most divisive things in the church that I can remember? Right? I know some of you are looking at me like, watch out, Pastor. Um, you know, um, these things have created such disunity. All kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses, all kinds of personal preferences. Hey, I get it. You know, if you want my, my opinion, I do not like masks. <laughs> right? You with me, right? Who does? None of us like these masks. But the most important thing is not what I think about a mask. What, I, what I'm doing is making every effort to bring unity to the body. We are part of a community. We're... I'll just tell you the truth, and I'll just say it online there, there. I'm so disappointed with some of our churches that have decided that this is no big deal. And you know what the community is saying about them? I don't know if they're listening, but the community is saying there's some rebel churches and there's some churches that care about this community. I am not going to be the rebel church just because I don't like wearing the mask. Now, listen, don't, don't write me. I heard it all. I, I know. Um, I, I know some people can't breathe in there, and I'm, you know, I care about that. We have to, we have to work with, people, with things like that. People have physical issues dealing with that. But it, it's not about this little excuse or that excuse or that, that problem or this problem. It's just the overall thing. I mean, we can talk about social distancing. We're thinking about kind of, I, I want to get rid of the chains, right? We're talking about maybe getting rid of the chains. That doesn't mean that we're going to quit social distancing. It just means that we are responsible enough at this point to be able to do it so that we can raise our capacity a little bit to have a few more people here. Because things are, do you know things are getting better? Somebody, one of my pastor friends said this week, he said, we're in the fourth quarter. We're up 12. Don't give in. Let's get to the end. Oh, man, I love that. That's where we are. And, and we're not taking sides. Oh, man. You, you think people want to get the pastor to take sides? Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm not taking sides. I mean, really, what am I supposed to do about this whole thing? Here, here's some things. Number one, I cannot win in this whole debate. I am doing my best to keep us unified and together, to lead us, working with our board and our staff. But I refuse to take sides. You know, if you take sides with this person over here about this issue, then all of a sudden you're not loving this other person. I'm going to love you no matter what you think, no matter what your position. I love you and I love them. I can't win. But... I can lose. We could lose our church. I prayed a lot about that during the last year. 
you have been such a blessing to make sure that we were able to financially do everything we needed to do. God is blessing us. I mean, we are trending up, and I'm so, so thank you for that. But there were so many losses. I mean, we could lose our friendship. People could lose their soul. I just can't bear it. I can't bear it. I'm standing right smack in the middle because there's so much I, I cannot win. I can lose, but I'm telling you this. I will not quit. I will not quit. I will not give in, I will not quit. We are called to stand together in unity. We are asked by Jesus to lay aside secondary things, my own personal preferences for the greater good of being one as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you didn't hear anything else, that's the message. One day, you and I are going to get to heaven. And you're going to stand before God, and he is not going to ask you how much money did you make in your life. He is not going to ask you how much education you got. He's not going to ask you, did you convert anybody to your political views? Who'd you vote for? He's never going to ask you that. He's not going to ask you, uh, did you enjoy your retirement? Or did you, did, where did, what, what stand did you have on this or on that? God is going to ask, did you learn, did you really learn to love your brothers and sisters in my family, even those that you don't agree with? Did you learn to love the members of the family of God who were different than you and had a different background? You see, what I'm saying today is that the bottom line is that God's vision for us is learning how to really love. So we're going to, we love everybody here. We're united here. But we love those people in all those other churches. I'm not judging their whatever they have to say. If they love Jesus and they're trying to live for Christ and trying to preach the gospel of Christ, man, we're loving, we're loving them, right? The Bible says that the only thing that matters is faith expressed through love. I have to ask myself, as I, as I look at all these verses that we've run through, I ask myself, is this a top priority in my life? Unity. You know, this message is not just for this week, May, I mean, March the 14th. This message applies to us every day till Jesus comes. Are we united? Colossians 3, 14. This is what God says to, to those of us in the family of God. He says, most important of all, most important of all, love each other. Love is what holds us together in perfect unity. Unity is the visible uh, expression of love. So John 13 to 17, as you maybe spend some time reading there, uh, recognize he calls us to love. So you got a couple of choices. Um, I, I would say... Let's make our choice, I'm all in. I'm all in. Now, if, if you're not a part of the family of God, sitting in this room, watching online today, if you're not a part of the family of God, you need to become a part because it's the only thing that's going to last. Nothing else is going to last. 
nothing else that we're dealing with now or whatever the next topic is that becomes uh, divisive in our society. Your career is not going to last. Your education is not going to last. Your marriage is not going to last. No nation, None of that stuff is going on into eternity. The only thing that's going to last for eternity is the church, the family of God. God created the universe because he wanted a family, and you need to become a part of the family of God. How do you do that? By committing your life to Jesus Christ, trusting him. Now, you can say a prayer. Say, Jesus, I don't understand all this, but I'm giving my my life to you. I turn over my self-centeredness, replace fear and anxiety. I want to love you, and I want to love your family. Now, the rest of us, we can say we're all in, Pastor. We can do it. You know, we can overcome this. We're, God is getting us out of this. We can see our best days are ahead of us. Things are going to change. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to work hard for unity. I'm going to change my ways, change my mind, because Jesus wants unity. Amen? Jesus wants unity. That's his desire for us. That's what we celebrate here today. Let's pray. Jesus, we hear you. Please help us. Help us to commit to laying down secondary issues for the sake of your desire and prayer for unity. Help us to be the answer to your prayer at least in our circle of influence and what we can accomplish. I commit to rethink. I commit to pray over. I am willing to change for the sake of unity. Lord, thanks for speaking to us today. Help us to not get past this. Help us to talk about it at home. Help us to think about it over lunch. Help us make some decisions about our own personal preferences for the sake of unity. Make every effort to work for unity, for the bond of peace in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, amen, amen. Thank you so much.